All right, good evening. Daniel chapter 9. So we are considering the 70-week prophecy that is found in Daniel as he received from Gabriel. So Gabriel was sent by God to Daniel. Daniel began to pray because he was aware from reading Jeremiah the prophet that the 70-year captivity was about to come to an end, or at least should be. And so remember, there's more than just the end of the captivity here. There's a lot of things that would have been been going through people's minds, especially Daniel's at this time. As you read the prophet Jeremiah, you can understand why there might be the sense of, hey, we're we're going to return uh, to our land. The city's going to be built. We're going to serve a king that God is going to raise up. God's going to establish the new covenant. And so with all of this that is about to come to pass with the end of the captivity, or so it seems, it sounds a lot like what they would expect when the Messiah would be on the way. And so they're thinking, may have very well been, the Messiah is going to arrive in conjunction with the end of our captivity. He's going to be part of this to bring us out and establish the kingdom once again, and we're going to dwell in peace and safety. But wait a minute. Remember that Daniel had those visions. And in those visions, uh, in previous chapters, he was told how there was going to be an issue with the the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, of inflicting all kind of rule and hardship over the people of God and those who had returned to the land. And so it wasn't making a whole lot of sense of how can the new covenant be established with the Messiah's arrival at the end of the captivity and Israel still be under Gentile oppression. It, It doesn't add up. And it definitely would have made sense in their mind based upon how they viewed the Messiah. And so Gabriel shows up as Daniel's praying, and he shows up to give skill and understanding on the matter. And this is likely meant to correct Israel's idea of what it meant for the Messiah's arrival. Come to find out, the Messiah's first arrival would not be as a conquering political leader. We find none of that in the Gospels. Um, he didn't mess with Rome. In fact, he said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And so he, he, he was not going to bring them out from underneath Gentile bondage. And it would not include the earthly kingdom being restored to Israel. And so this prophecy makes it clear that first there would be a suffering Messiah. And their city and their temple would be destroyed once again. Therefore, there would be no lasting peace and safety for Judea. In fact, the Messiah's arrival was still 483 years away. God had a 490-year plan in relation to the Messiah, and a plan longer than that for the people of Israel. So this prophecy is meant to clarify all these things that would be happening after the release of captivity and what it would mean for the Messiah's arrival. So... Look in chapter 9, let's read verses 24 through 27 again this week. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem... Unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. 
The street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. And so last week we started our look at this prophecy by considering verse 24. We saw that 70 weeks are determined. 70 weeks are cut out. They are cut off is what it literally means. They are being cut out of time for a very definite purpose. These 70 weeks are said to be determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Because this is being spoken to Daniel, and Daniel prayed, I think it's there in verse 20, he mentions my people Israel, that thy people, this is a prophecy surrounding primarily Israel, and the holy city, of course, is Jerusalem then. And then we saw the six purposes that are given for this special 70-week period, and those are to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. And I gave you my opinion how to finish the transgression was what started back in 1 Samuel chapter 8 when the nation of Israel decided they wanted an earthly king to reign over them and not God to reign over them. And you'd have to listen to last week's message to get all the reasons why. But there's no disputing that Israel revolted against the Lord. They renounced their allegiance uh, and subjection to Christ as their king. They said, we have no king but Caesar. And so they were done with Christ, and I believe that's the transgression which needed to be finished. We'll probably say more about that in some of these later verses. I also believe the purpose is to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness were all fulfilled by Christ's finished work on the cross. There's plenty of verses to establish this, and I would say to establish it as a fact, that that's what took place with Christ's sacrifice. I believe the fifth purpose to seal up the vision and the prophecy is a reference to how Christ fulfilled prophecy during his earthly ministry, which we see cited over and over again in the gospel accounts. It talks about that it might be fulfilled and um, just the fulfilling of scriptures, all those various uh, terms that we see there in the gospels. And the sixth purpose, I believe, to anoint the most holy is speaking of when Christ was baptized and the Spirit of God descended and abode upon him. And again, you need to listen to last week's if you miss it to, to understand that point. But remember, right after Jesus was baptized, he was led of the Spirit to go into the wilderness for 40 days, and there he fasted, and the devil was tempting him. And after that, he comes out of the wilderness, he goes to Nazareth, to the synagogue, as his custom was. And while he's there, he's reading the prophet Isaiah. And it says in Luke 14, 17 through 18, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel. Certainly Christ was anointed. Certainly I believe he's the most holy. And so it makes sense to me that that's the fulfillment. Um, I think almost all agree that those six purposes are going to be fulfilled in Christ. The question then is, what's the timing? And that's really where the debate comes in. Most dispensationalists say that it'll literally happen with Christ's return when he comes to reign for a thousand years on this earth. But that can't be true um, if at the end of that 
thousand years, according to Revelation 20 and verse 8, Satan is going to be loosed and he's going to go out and deceive the nations. And so how can all of that be completely over if there's still going to be Satan out on the prowl at the end of the thousand years? just doesn't make sense. So therefore, I think it's best to understand that these six purposes, um, they're spiritually fulfilled in Christ. Um, I mean, some of them are literally, but as far as the ending transgressions and the taking away of sins and all that, that, that was fulfilled uh, spiritually, if you will, through Christ. I like to aggravate my dispensationalist friends and say it was literally fulfilled spiritually. And since these purposes can only find their fulfillment within the 70th week of Daniel, I believe the 70th week of Daniel has already run its course and it's already been fulfilled. Now, some of you might disagree with that, but I'm asking you to stay with me through the entirety and it'll make more sense as we go. So we're going to move on to verse 25 tonight. It says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The streets shall be built again in the wall, even in troublous times. And so we see again at the beginning of this verse that this prophecy is meant to be understood. And I mentioned this, I think, the last week, maybe the last two weeks. I know it can be intimidating for some because there's so many opinions that are out there on what this section of the Bible means. But we shouldn't think its understanding is out of reach either. Because Gabriel here says to Daniel, know and understand, which means it should be knowable and understandable. Uh, next, we get the starting point of this prophecy, that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. So if one can see in the Bible where that's fulfilled, then one would know the beginning of the 490-year prophecy. Now, there's only three viable options. In order of their Persian rule, it would either be Cyrus, Darius, or Artaxerxes. And, and just to clarify, there are two men named Darius that you'll come across. One is mentioned in the first verse of this chapter, Darius the Mede. And then there is Darius the Persian. And you can read about him in Ezra and Nehemiah. Many are forcing Artaxerxes to be the one who fulfills Daniel 9.25 as the one who issued the command to restore and to build Jerusalem. And those who make their case against Cyrus and Darius do so. Um, I'm going to focus mainly on Cyrus. They say Cyrus can't be the one who fulfills it because he never said anything about building the city. But before we start to consider Scripture surrounding Cyrus... Let's remember the context that we're in here. Daniel was prompted to pray because of what he read in Jeremiah the prophet. He anticipated the 70-year captivity was coming to an end. And now Daniel's being told that the command when it's issued to restore and to build Jerusalem, it would mark the end of the captivity. We'll see you later on in another message. It's also going to mark the beginning of the 70 weeks. And so we have this command that we're looking for. It's going to set everything in motion once this command is issued. Now, one of the reasons why many people are not properly identifying who it is that issues this command is because they don't understand this word, restore to restore and to build. (laughs) Build. 
Sorry, my, my redneck comes out every now and then, amen. To build it. No, to build. When we read restore in connection with the word build, immediately an assumption is usually made that the restoration of the city it's part of the building process, and really we're just restoring the city like someone might restore an old car. But that's not the meaning here. Restore means to turn back, as in returning. And it's important that we understand this to get the right understanding of who's fulfilling what out of these decrees that were issued. The first time this Hebrew word is used in Genesis 3.19, it says this, In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat thy bread till thou return unto the ground. It's the same as restore as used here in Daniel 9.25. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Therefore, what this is saying, this command will not only be a command to build Jerusalem, but it's a command that's going to end the 70-year captivity by allowing the Judean captives to return or restore. They're going to return to the land and they're going to rebuild the city. Neither Darius nor Artaxerxes can ever be said to be the ones who have ended the captivity. And that's why if you don't understand restore, you're probably going to get confused on some of the opinions that are out there. Only Cyrus's decree meets the requirement of releasing the captives, and that's the whole context of Ezra chapter 1 and 2. When you read Ezra chapter 1 and 2, it's talking about Cyrus and all these captives that are leaving and coming to Jerusalem and Judea. Ezra 2.1, it says, Now these are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity. And again, if you go back and read chapter 1, chapter 2, Cyrus is peppered throughout there. This is the man doing this. Now these are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity of those which had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had carried away unto Babylon, and came again, that's the same Hebrew word used for restore, and came again unto Jerusalem and Judea, everyone unto his city. And then you keep reading through Ezra, all these names and numbers, you know, all that fun stuff as you're reading your Bible through in a year. And you get down there towards the end. It says in verses 64 and 65, The whole congregation together was forty and two thousand three hundred and three score, beside their servants and their maids, of whom there were seven thousand three hundred and thirty and seven. And there were among them two hundred singing men and singing women. So if I did my math correctly, that was a total of forty nine thousand eight hundred and ninety seven. Clearly, that is the release from captivity that we're getting there in Ezra chapter 2. But there's a lot more than just this to show that Cyrus is the one we should see as the issuer of the command to restore and to build Jerusalem. If Gabriel is, not if, Gabriel's being sent to Daniel so that he would know and understand, it, then it stands to reason that God would make it clear in his word who fulfills Daniel 9.25. And for some reason, many Bible teachers are overlooking Isaiah 44, or worse, they're just explaining it away. In Isaiah 44, verses 26 through 28, it says, The Lord confirmeth, I added the word the Lord, it's in the context of the verses above, but the Lord confirmeth 
the word of his servant and performeth the counsel of his messengers that saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited, and to the cities of Judah ye shall be built, and I will raise up the decayed places thereof, that saith to the deep, Be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers, that saith of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Clearly, (laughs) Cyrus is is issuing this decree. God is so clear about this. And and what's amazing about this prophecy about Cyrus is Isaiah is writing this and God's calling out Cyrus by name 150 years, 175 years before he's ever born. Amen, that's pretty cool. Well, it is to me, amen. Isaiah 45.4 says of Cyrus, For Jacob my servant's sake and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. What a comfort to know that no matter how crazy this world gets, our God has it all in control. Look, he's hundreds of years ahead. He's already there, amen? Time doesn't matter to God. (laughs) He's in control. Now, for those who try to say Cyrus said nothing about a rebuilding of the city, I don't know how much clearer... Isaiah 44 can be. God himself said that Cyrus would be the one to say to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. And I just happen to believe if the Lord said he's going to do that, then that's what's going to happen. That Cyrus is going to do that. But in an effort to explain away Isaiah 44... Clarence Larkin, who for some reason is considered the what the uh, wise guy, the intelligent one, the smart one. What's the word I'm looking for? Who? Expert. Yeah, there you go. For some reason, Clarence Larkin, who's he's considered to be the expert on the book of, of Daniel, he explains this away by saying this, quote, Between Isaiah's prophecy and the issuance of Cyrus's decree, had the Lord changed his mind and limited the work of Cyrus to the mere rebuilding of the temple, it would seem as if we should limit ourselves to the words of Cyrus himself that the Lord charged him to simply build him a house in Jerusalem, end quote. So it almost sounds to me like Larkin is telling us and believed that we should not take the Lord at his word who said Cyrus is going to do this. And that bothers me. But there's even more biblical reasoning to identify Cyrus as the one who issued this commandment. Remember that Daniel is looking for the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. 2 Chronicles 36, verses 20 through 23, And them that had escaped from the sword carried he, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. Listen to this. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah, uh, of Jeremiah might be accomplished. What's Daniel looking for? The fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. What does the Bible tell us after Cyrus is in charge? He's the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. Uh, prophecy. 
the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me, and he hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord his God be with him, and let him go up. You're released from your captivity. Uh, you'll find the same exact thing in, in Ezra uh, 1.1. I won't take the time to read it. But only Cyrus is said to be the one who fulfills the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Only Cyrus fulfills the release from captivity to restore and the command to rebuild Jerusalem. Listen to Isaiah 45.13. I have raised him up in righteousness and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city and he shall let go my captives, not for price nor reward, saith the Lord of hosts. Amen. That's pretty clear to me. What about Darius and Artaxerxes then? I think if you'll study what they did, you'll find and agree that all they do is they simply continue what Cyrus had already decreed. Remember in Persia, we studied this when we were in the book of Esther not that long ago. Once a decree is issued in Persia, man, that's it. It's, it's, it's there. It can't be revoked. And so they're just continuing what Cyrus originally published. But I'm going to go ahead and run through this. Most agree Darius can't be counted as the issuer of the commandment. Because all he really did was verify what Cyrus had put in writing. Um, and Cyrus is the one who ruled before him. This is what it says in Ezra 5, um, 17 through chapter 6 and verse 3. Now therefore, if it seemed good to the king, speaking of Darius, let there be search made in the king's treasure house, which is there at Babylon, whether it be so, that a decree was made of Cyrus the king, to build this house of God at Jerusalem and let the king send his pleasure to us concerning this matter. And here's the, here's the only decree that Darius makes. Then Darius the king made a decree and search was made in the house of the rolls. All he was doing was making a decree, go find out if the decree's there. <laughs> Where the treasures were laid up in Babylon and there was found at Achmetha in the palace that is in the province of the Medes a roll and therein was a record thus written. In the first year of Cyrus, the king, the same Cyrus, the king, made a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be builded, the place where they offered sacrifices, and let the foundations thereof be strongly laid, the height thereof threescore cubits, and the breadth thereof threescore cubits. So since all Darius did was prove that Cyrus issued a decree, Darius is never really considered as an option of being the one who fulfilled Daniel 9.25. So what about Artaxerxes? Many teachers today are trying to force Artaxerxes as the fulfillment of Daniel 9.25. But what's funny is, and I shouldn't say funny, but what's funny is those who make that argument admit themselves that it's never recorded in the Bible. I'm going to prove that here in just a second. Maybe right now, actually. So what they say is, Nehemiah received letters from Artaxerxes. You can read about that. I think it's in Nehemiah 2. And he received these letters and, well, it must have had a decree in there that said all this. For example, this is what Larkin wrote. Quote, While the words of the decree are not given, the character of Nehemiah's work 
that of restoration is proof of its nature. How can it be proof if it was never written? Oliver B. Green wrote this, quote, There is no decree in words, but the king undoubtedly gave the prophet some form or document or letters giving him the authority to repair the walls and build the city. And really, it's almost comical that that's their reasoning that Artaxerxes is the man and they're actually saying he didn't issue, he didn't, it's not recorded what he said. And it's comical because the whole reason they say Cyrus can't be the one is because, well, he never said anything about the city. Well, then how is Artaxerxes the one? Well, this is where I want to go to the screen here in just a second if you've got it ready. So while I'm quoting Larkin and Green, I, I want to highlight here a major, a major part of the problem that comes to understanding this 70-week prophecy, and that is this. People simply parrot what other people say. And they never study it for themselves. They need to study whether these things be so. For example, Clarence Larkin's book entitled The Book of Daniel was published five years after his death in 1929. Oliver B. Green's book was published 35 years later in 1964, and yet they both share remarkable similarities. I just want to give you one example here, if you'll take a look at the screen. And, and really, I think it speaks for itself, but I'll maybe just highlight a couple things here. So, Larkin writes, the purpose of Nehemiah's mission, Green writes, Nehemiah's mission, was the restoration of Jerusalem as a political capital, was not only the reestablishment of Jerusalem, but as a political capital. Do you see what's happening here? Where does the Bible ever say that Nehemiah's mission was a political mission? Nowhere. So where did Green get it from? Got it from Larkin. Where did Larkin get it from? I don't know. He, but there you go. And I love Oliver B. Green, so don't come and tell me, you know, I know he might be up there on your top shelf. Mine too. I, I, like, I love his preaching. I'm just saying, look at this. And so you see all these same phrases everywhere. And, and I was going to try to get this work to where I could make it highlight and all that, but I didn't have time, so... You know, let's just skip to the end here. It says, therefore, Larkin, therefore, this one, Artaxerxes, must be the one meant by Gabriel. Look at the end there in green of, of Oliver Green's. Therefore, it must be the same decree referred to by Gabriel. It's the same thing just being regurgitated over and over and over and over again. And this is how we have end up at corrupted teaching because somebody said it who was a cool guy. And because he said it, I believe it. And now I'm going to teach it that way. And now we end up with where we're at today. And so that's just a small example. I could show you throughout the entire book of Daniel by Larkin and the whole book entitled Daniel by Green. And it's, I don't, I'm not accusing anybody of plagiarism. I'm just saying it is a remarkable similarity. All right, you can cut that thing off. I wanted to let people see that. Now, believe it or not, I'm not being critical of, I'm not being overly critical of what I just showed you because I've been guilty of that myself in the past. And I've just recited what other people believed and I never really studied it for myself. All I'm trying to demonstrate here is that it happens and that it is happening. And, and honestly, I really see nothing wrong with echoing the same sentiment so long as it's been researched and found to be truth. I mean, look at the gospel accounts. There's a harmony of the gospels. So I'm not against echoing the same sentiments. I hope I'm, I'm making sense here. On, on my point. 
So my, my point is this. Don't just run with something that someone else has said in this particular area of study without truly examining it. Because this is what's been happening for over 100 years now on this topic. And I might could say 200 years, but I, don't, I want to be careful there. But at least 100 years, 150 years, this has definitely caused false teaching to be accepted. So back to the issue here now. Even as these two men confess, a command to restore and to build Jerusalem by Artaxerxes is never recorded in the Bible. And if you study the decrees of Darius and Artaxerxes, I believe you'll have to admit all they did was continue what Cyrus put into motion. The reason they had to get involved was because problems and oppositions were arising during the building process. Remember all of that? And... That's why the end of Daniel 9.25 says this, the street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. And you can read about that in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. So the bottom line is, Bible evidence is overwhelming that Cyrus's decree fulfills the command to restore and to build Jerusalem. He was foretold of before he was born by name to accomplish this fulfillment. He is said to be the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. He's the only one that ended the captivity. And just a side note for consideration, I wouldn't hang my hat on this, but when I read this prophecy and Gabriel tells Daniel, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment, that it almost sounds like to me that this is something Daniel is going to be able to recognize in his lifetime. I mean, that's how I kind of see it. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm looking for something here, but that's kind of how it reads to me. And if that's the case, Daniel, by now, he's already lived through the entire 70-year captivity. He's probably in the neighborhood of Harry Lund's age. No offense, brother. But he's probably pushing 85. That was out of, out of bounds, my wife said. I'm sorry, brother. I didn't know that was out of bounds. Um, <laughs> amen. And so for, for Daniel to live all the way to our tax Xerxes days is, is unlikely. Um, and in fact, I'd, I'd say it's almost you know, impossible. But So that's just something to think about there. Now, why have I spent so much time on this? And y'all are probably wondering the same thing, right? Why spend so much time on this one area of this passage? One reason is to show how approaching Scripture with preconceived ideas from running with what others have said is causing people to miss what is otherwise clearly stated in the Scriptures. And that is that Cyrus is the one who would issue the decree. Another reason is if you've ever studied this subject, then you've likely seen these charts containing various math formulas that use Artaxerxes' decree date, whatever that is, they use that decree date and they say, ah, there's the math, 483 years, there's Christ. So it has to be Artaxerxes' decree. And there are those who say, that proves the validity of the Bible. But it's all based on an assumption. And this shows how false assumptions can be received as, quote, fact, when left unchecked. And, and part of the problem is, and I'm really going to bore you now, amen? If you're asleep, just start snoring. It's going to get worse. Part of the problem is people are trying to prove the Bible using man's dating system. That's not a good recipe. And so as a result, many are forcing Artaxerxes as the fulfillment of Daniel 9.25 to show how the 483 adds up. 483 years add up to Christ, either his baptism or triumphal entry. There's some discussion there, but that's usually where they go with that. 
but it's all based on unprovable dates. And should there ever be a conflict between man's dates and Bible dates, then go with the Bible. Conflicts of interpretation have developed from trying to make man's historical dates fit the Bible. The fact is, calendars have changed a lot. Uh, Many factors can drive date-setting problems. For example, some nations had a different number of days in a year. We have 365 and a quarter. (laughs) Don't you love that quarter? Well, the Hebrews had 360. Well, you spread that out over hundreds of years, it adds up. That's just one example. Calendars sometimes started over with the conquest of a nation. Amen? You're now under my rule. You're going to use my calendar. That's how I'd roll. And some calendars would start again with the rise of a ruler. And again, that's how I'd roll. I'm in charge now. I'll decide when the new year is. (laughs) Now, on top of that, some had what are called lunar calendars, solar calendars, loony solar calendars, fixed calendars. And don't ask me to explain all that because I already forgot. To further prove my point, though, we use B.C., meaning before Christ, and A.D., or Anno Domini, meaning in the year of our Lord, which would mean Christ's birth should be the point that reset the calendar, right? But we're told by a lot of people that Christ's birth happened in 4 B.C., or sometime B.C. Well, I'm just highlighting that proves how man's dating system can be flawed. Because if Christ's birth started over, then why was he born four years before he was born? Most who try to set the date of the commandment use what is called Ptolemy's Canon, and it was developed by a man named Claudius Ptolemy. He was a, a heathen astro- astrologer from Alexandria, Egypt, and lived from 100 to 170 A.D. And you can research this and you'll find all this to be so, but people admit, yeah, his canon has problems. It's not perfect. And, and what he does is he takes the rule of kings and he looks at astrology and he, he puts all this together and he comes up with dates. And, but even those who, who have studied this say that it's not completely accurate, and yet somehow this is what has become the standard for dating events from 747 B.C. until Antonius Pius who died in 161 A.D. So during that bracket of time, people just look at Ptolemy's canon as as what we should use to set dates. The most published works on Bible chronology have Ptolemy as their baseline. And this is what has further led to the problem of trying to force Artaxerxes as the one who issued the command. Because instead of just letting the Bible say what it says, they look at what man says and go, well, we got to fit the Bible to what man said. No! Not to mention it's a blatant disregard to God's Word. Let me hurry up. Now, if you happen to be interested in the Bible-based chronology um, book for the Old Testament, uh, I recommend Martin Ancy's The Romance of Bible Chronology in 1913. And I made a joke the last time I spoke about this that, uh, good night, if that's what his romance stuff is, this man had no life, amen. (laughs) But, But even his is not without controversy. But interestingly enough, by using only biblical data, ANSI has the Persian Empire as lasting 123 years. And if that's correct, there's no problem with Cyrus's decree being the one which fits. But whatever. 
Now, on the other hand, Ptolemy dates the Persian Empire as lasting 205 years. The Jewish tradition says it lasted 52 years. That's a big difference. And it just further highlights the problem with man's dating systems. And so it leads to trying to force a position. And the reality, the reality is a lot of dates of ant- antiquity cannot be proven. So just go with what is clearly stated in the Bible. And don't worry if it fits man's calendars. Amen? Well, I'll have to leave it there for now. We'll pick this up next time. Let's pray.